Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Well Podcast. Do you want to know how to eliminate exhaustion, brain fog, and bloating? Do you find yourself up late at night Googling, why am I so tired? Are you over being told that nothing's wrong with you and your symptoms are just a sign of aging? Hey, I'm Lisa Smith, functional medicine dietitian with a thriving holistic health practice, and I've been there overwhelmed, in pain, and defeated when my doctors insisted that nothing was wrong with my health. But I knew something wasn't right and desperately wanted to find root cause solutions to feel like myself again, but it seemed impossible. So I took matters into my own hands and researched holistic health solutions to my exhaustion, inflammation, and gut problems. And now I wanna share these life-changing solutions with you. In this podcast, you will find that radical health transformation comes from small steps in learning the right foods and nutrition for you, healing your gut and dialing in your mindset so that you will be feeling better than ever. Hey, welcome back to the Pretty Well Podcast. I'm Lisa Smith, and today you have a treat coming for you. We have Ali Shapiro. Ali's the creator of Truce With Food and the host of the Insatiable Podcast. And I am very excited and fortunate to have her with me today. Ali, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Lisa. I think we're going to have fun if the, the pre-call was <laughs> anything. <laughs> I think we are. Hey, just a little side note, guys. Ali and I are neighbors. Ali's in Pittsburgh and yeah. I'm in Indiana, PA. So we're definitely planning our coffee date yes. uh, when we're done here today. But hey, Ali. Talk to us a little bit about your backstory. I love truce with food. I love the concept. I love the name. But tell me about how you got to where you are. Yeah. That's like where to start. I think for your audience, it would be most helpful to think about about 20 years ago, I found functional medicine. And this was like in the early, early days. There weren't even health sections in the newspaper. Yeah. Uh, And I had been struggling with... I thought my big issue was weight loss and emotional eating and binge eating. Mm -hmm. But underneath that, physically, I had been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. I had chronic depression. I had acne that I had tried antibiotics, Accutane for nothing seemed to work. Wow. And I was just like in a really big battle with food in my body. And when I found functional medicine, I started to realize that IBS, acne, depression, For me, these were all symptoms. They were not these fixed diagnoses. And so Mm -hmm. what I really discovered was basically I had a lot of gut and you know gut problems. And since this is your specialty. And they had all stemmed from having cancer at the age of 13. Wow. Yeah. And the chemotherapy, the steroids, they had done a, a number on my gut, but nobody was talking about gut health and I was the first generation of childhood cancer survivors. So it was like, you're lo- you're living. Like, this is an amazing milestone. Yeah. And I'm, you know, part of studies now to follow up, like, what happens after all of this stuff? Wow. So I, you don't know what you don't know. And so through really, I mean, I don't want to say it's primitive, but basic gut health principles. I got off processed food. I had to get off gluten for years. Mm. (laughs) I needed some digestive enzymes Mm. and some stuff to turn around my cell lining of of my gut. Mm. Over time, I reversed everything. And I was like, yeah. Oh, probiotics too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, but there were, so I I was like, I feel amazing. It did take me about nine months to go gluten-free because the minute I would restrict it, I would then want to 
I wouldn't binge on gluten, but I would eat uh, eat York peppermint patties and peanut M&Ms. <laughs> and I was like, sugar is not great for my gut either. So I finally, you know, was working on feeling really great, but then I would find myself emotionally eating mm. or not doing what I know I should during periods of stress. So mm. if I was going for my scans to see if like, hey, are you still cancer free? I also had to be checked for breast cancer and thyroid cancer because I had radiation. Mm. So in the cancer world, it's called like scanxiety season, which because oh. our healthcare system is what it is can last six weeks from the time you call and make your appointment till you get the test, till you get the results. And I would like be eating sugar the entire time. Wow. And I'm like, I know cancer feeds on sugar. <laughs> Why am I doing this? That was that anxiety, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, and then I, at the time I had, you know, found functional medicine at a holistic nutrition school, which is where I became a holistic nutritionist. And I simultaneously was back then it was just getting people i mean i started my practice 17 years ago so it was taking people to the grocery store and teaching them about kale about quinoa none of this information was available right like you had to really search for it mm -hmm. and i thought i was the only one who had food issues and then after about the fourth session with my clients we would stop talking about food and i was like what are these emotional shifts? What's working? What's not working? And so really my work became about, okay, functional medicine taught me a systems thinking of mm -hmm. these are symptoms. What if falling off track was a symptom? Oh, what if so it made good. sense the same way my depression did, my IBS did? Wow. And if I could address that root cause, because I was really disciplined. I mean, I am like tenacious. You know? Yeah, so I, I can like, tell. How yeah. More disciplined do I have to be? So I just right. didn't, I sensed that that probably wasn't the answer either. Just mm -hmm. like my depression wasn't a serotonin deficiency for me, it was mm -hmm. an inflammatory issue. Right. So I hear you saying, like, you figured out it's not just me powering through it, it's not willpower. There's something else that's driving this behavior and this these, these cravings. Yeah. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And so that's really some of the questions I went into grad school with to really figure out. <laughs> yeah. What did you, so tell us about grad school. Where'd you go? What what degree were you going for? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a Pennsylvania girl through and through. We both went to Penn State. We undergrad did. And we, we are. That's right. And then I went to UPenn in Philadelphia where I've lived for, I, I did live for 12 years and I love Philly. Um, mm. And again, at the time, I mean, it's the, the blessing and curse of being ahead of your time is there's more permission, I think, to go your own way <laughs> in a way because there is nothing formed. Yeah. So I was like, the food part of this is actually pretty simple. Like mm -hmm. you're going to get 80% of the results if you can eat whole foods and get off processed foods. That's right. But the, but the hard part is stress. The hard part mm -hmm. is making time for it, having energy, if you're working, have kids, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went in and really studied a degree that's called organizational dynamics, which is really like getting an MBA in human behavior, but it's looking at things through a systems lens. So not mm -hmm. just like, for example, with eating, oh, you're, you're whatever, you're emotionally eating at night. It's what happened right before, right after dinner. It's like, why would someone eat at night? And the questions that I tell my clients and listeners can start to ask for themselves, like, why does this make sense? Yeah. Why does this make sense instead of how do I fix this? And you start to realize that food falling off the track and all this stuff, it's not always just about what happened right before. 
it's this holistic understanding of why we turn to food. Mm. And so really I studied developmental psychology, sustainable change, systems, all these big words that just basically are like, how do I get to help my clients want to want to be healthy instead of trying to force them to be healthy? How do I get them to arrive at wanting to want to be healthy rather than feeling like I have to do this because someone else told me, whether it's me as a practitioner or diet culture or, you know, doctor so-and-so on TV and trying to be good. So it's intrinsic versus extrinsic. Yes. How do you get that intrinsic motivation? So that leads me to a question, Allie, that I get asked pretty frequently from my clients. Why is it, I just had a, a guy client in two weeks ago and he said, why is it he said, I've gotten this, this healthy eating thing down now. I've lost my 25 pounds. I feel amazing. I get it. I really get it. I get it when I'm home. I get it when I go out. He said, but now I'm almost having rebellion in my brain that says, I don't want to do it. I go out to eat and I'm like, darn it, I'm going to have the hamburger with the bun and I'm going to have the fries. He's like, he said, it's kind of weird. I'm having almost like a defiance in my own brain. Why is that? Yeah, I love this. We'll go deep. Okay, so, good. <laughs> good, good. So basically, people think that they that weight loss is their goal, health is their goal. And it mm. definitely is part of that. But for adults to actually sustainably change, it has to want, they have to want to want it. So often as practitioners, and again, this is all deep psychology, yeah. they're, tra- they're repeating the pattern of, I want to make... Lisa happy. I want to make Uh. Allie happy. And I'm feeling amazing, but it's really the approval and I'm being Uh. good. I'm being obedient. And so once we get to where we want to get to, whether it's weight loss or the health space, it's not that that doesn't feel amazing and great. It does, but it wasn't necessarily, we didn't come to those conclusions ourselves. And I know it seems like, but you feel amazing. amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so there's two things that are happening is it, it has to start to, we have to, as adults start to make like, how does this help me beyond just symptom resolution? Mm-hmm. Like, how, okay, maybe it's, and again, your client probably knows this, but the other thing that I would say, so, but some of my clients, it's like, they'll come in and be like, I remember when I was in my twenties and I ate this way and I exercised all the time and I just felt amazing. But they didn't understand the granular connections of like, you know, you do hormone health, blood sugar. Okay, how does eating this meal Mm -hmm. that's blood sugar balanced at 8 a.m. help you better function till 12? They're just focusing on the end goal of, I wanna get rid of my diagnosis. I wanna get rid of my long-term symptoms and not even the more granular stuff of like, I am doing this so I can think more clearly, so I can be a better leader. Mm. Those more immediate effects. So that's That's one reason that people get to the rebellion. The other thing I say is it's it's an invitation into even deeper healing. Mm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this could, so I'll give this example, I think that illustrates this. So I had a client who came to me who really needed to be Mm gluten-free and she said, you know, I used to be able to be gluten-free, no problem. Mm -hmm. And now I have, my job is so demanding Mm -hmm. and I've got three kids. 
And it's just easier when they're out, you know, it's, and she's like, and I don't want to be gluten-free anymore. I do not have the energy. Mm. And this is where the systems looking, look at, look at is, and it's like, okay, adults don't like their autonomy being taken away. So we're going to rebel again. That's part of why the, we have to want to want it. But I said, you now have less choice in your life overall. You don't get to choose how you spend your time because you have three kids and they're young, right? Yeah. You have a huge job, so you're managing people now, so you're responsible to them. And so if we look at what we think of as deprivation holistically. Oh, that's and I'm so good. That's about, so good. Yeah, right? It's mm-hmm. like you are deprived of autonomy and choice, which is what feels like freedom. And so the one place that you have it around, like where you can finally carve it out for yourself is around food. And and we as, again, adults have a primal need for autonomy, for independence. And I would argue as I'm raising a toddler, they do too. <laughs> and teenagers too. <laughs> and, right, and, every stage. Yeah. and so what she really needed to do in our work was like, what is the deep, we need to examine these ideas of a good manager and a good mom. Mm. And you're defaulting to these obedient. I think we sometimes get discipline and obedience mixed up. We think we're being disciplined, but we're actually being obedient to default norms. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's good paradigm shift stuff right there. yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So like we started, I started saying like, what do you miss? You know, she's like, Mm -hmm. I miss time with my friends, but they, she lived on the West coast. They live on the the East coast. And it's like, could you, do you have the means, both time, energy, money to maybe plan a trip for that with them? Just so that, you know, oh man, I'd have to ask my husband to get, you know, watch all three kids. I know. And that that feels like I'm being a burden, right? All this like stuff comes up. But as she started to carve out different things, right? We start with what feels comfortable, what feels like a little bit of a stretch. She really started to redefine, oh, when my, when my, you know, when my, the people that I manage come to me, I feel like I need to fix all their problems. Mm. Well, that's, that's impossible because (laughs) yeah, I feel like I'm failing there. I feel like I'm failing with the gluten, right? It's like, what do you think, what do you think they need? And so she's like, she started leading with like, when they would come into her, how can I help you? What do you need from me? And half the time it was just to be a sounding board. It was like, oh my God. So like this idea of being the fixer, like, right, that's kind of what we think we have to be for people. So it was, we really had to expand her idea and like what was important to her. And then it became easy to, you know, I don't want to say she felt necessarily deprived by gluten, but it did take time to think about it, right? And it did take energy. But if she could get that freedom and that agency and that fulfillment elsewhere, it didn't really matter about the gluten. It was one more thing clamoring for her to obey, basically. Yes. And when she could release some of that and say, wait, I don't actually have to obey any of this if I don't want to. I mean, I'm going to still be a great mom and a great manager, but I can reframe it. And then the gluten now gets freed up to just be a decision, right? It's no longer such a burden. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. again, me as the practitioner, I'm like, you can do whatever you want. I'm not, because I think so much healing happens in the relationship. You know, Carl Rogers, who was one of my favorite theorists in grad school, he had this concept of unconditional positive regard. And it really influenced how I think about things and really why I think self-sabotage, quote unquote, makes sense, right? With my client, for example, 
she has a need for some sort of freedom and satisfaction in life. And she was in a grind, yeah. right? So food was the easiest way to feel satisfied and we need yeah. satisfaction. And so a lot of things go into satisfaction, but her starting to carve out. And again, then she went from, I'm going to define what is how I want a mother. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that I'm going away on a trip. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to define how I lead. Right. And yeah. so it becomes in developmental psychology, what we call self-authoring. Yeah, it doesn't mean that great. she doesn't still value responsibility, but she's she's redefining what responsible means and including herself in the definition. I want to be responsible for my needs as well. That's amazing. Truly. I wish we would have talked way back when, because as a mom, I did that same thing. I said, this is what it means to be a good mom. And that means I don't go out with friends and meet them for a glass of wine. I don't travel without my kids. I don't do this, this, and this. So I I didn't. I just didn't. But that's a real burden when you live away from family. You don't have any family near you. And neither does my husband. It was hard. And, you know, I get it. it. What you're saying totally resonates me. I'm on the other side of that now. But what you're saying is so helpful for our listeners to be able to say, just take a step back and think about you don't have to define being a good anything by someone else's standard. Figure out your standard of what that is. And that way you're not just going with this wave, never looking at it, never evaluating it, just going with it, but but maybe not taking care of yourself in the meantime. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. love that you brought up your own experience because I think the default for mothers is deprive yourself, it, right? Deprive it, yourself it of is. an identity outside of motherhood. Yes. So you can see why what, in Truth With Food, what we're doing, this is getting a little like practitionery, but I think people <laughs> might be able to help for it. I think. Is what people think they're all or nothing or want to rebel, they're often rebelling against this all idea that to be good is to deprive ourselves. For sure. And, so, and it's not just how we're relating to food, but it's how we're relating to all the areas that we're not 100% confident in, right? Because mm-hmm. like parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood, I mean, you're on a constant learning curve. There is each child is different. Like the, the needs change based on what era you're growing up at. Like it, there's, yes. right, it's a much more dynamic thing. But food, especially we're taught like, you know, again, growing up in the 80s or 90s, it was mm-hmm. like health is bean sprouts and, you know, tofu and like all the gross <laughs> stuff. <laughs> all right? the- I, don't, I don't like it. I have friends who love it. But oh it's my like, gosh. oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's like, no, to me, and, and this is part of the, like, what I want people to realize is like health is truly about satisfaction and feeling great. And it can be about yummy food, you know, not all this deprivation. To me, it's mostly about like, are we alive? Do we feel free? Which is very different than, you know, the equip, the emotional equivalent of. Oh, that's so great. (laughs) I have a friend and she is going to be meeting with a cardiologist and she's, you know, amazing things about this cardiologist. But she said, but he's vegan. And I really hope he doesn't tell me I have to be vegan. And I was like, well, well, don't. Just don't. Just don't. Just don't. Because I don't think you should be vegan either. I mean, there's so there's so much benefit in, in getting, you know, the, the proteins, the complete proteins in your day and in your in your nutrition so that you have all that you need. But especially if you don't, if someone wants to go that way and that to them is their 
their way of defining health, but they enjoy it. That's one thing. But if she's saying, I really don't want this, I'm like, then just don't do it. Like we can yeah. help you design something that's really very continues to be healthy, but you don't need to do that. That's so, it's so depriving, you know? I love that you brought up that example because I think in this day and age, I, I, I did a whole podcast for my 30th cancer anniversary. It was like a solo episode of the difference between expert and authority, Ooh. because I think people use those interchangeably today, but it's like, it's yeah. not that a cardiologist isn't an expert per se, mm -hmm. but you start to realize that different experts have different perspectives. Right. And so ultimately, like it's, I think our responsibility, it doesn't mean we don't consult with experts, but we have to have some authoritative sense of what works for our body and trust that feeling good, like, you know, and this is kind of a side note, but I had consulted for an insurance company who was trying to get their patients off type two diabetes medications because they were payer provider, meaning the insurance company would save money. Well, that, oh. that's just pretty, pretty obvious, but yeah, I, they brought me in to help with the behavior change piece. And there was this doctor there and she was obsessed with the China study and she wanted everyone to be vegan. Oh. And I was like, okay, but people are like twice as likely to die from heart attacks from high insulin, not right. high cholesterol. Right. And I come from this bio-individuality standpoint and I'm like, if you know, but she was like, everyone thought that she knew because she was a doctor. And I was like, I probably, and I'm not saying I know as much as the doctor, but I probably got more nutrition training than she had. I think and so. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. like, that was part of my wake up call. I thought cancer survivors should be vegan and vegetarian. And then I would be binging on sugar. But I look at a more nervous system framework that honors that there's different types of nervous system, different type of diets. And it was like, oh my God, I need meat. I yes. need complex carbohydrates. I need healthy fats. And I had this like, it dawned on me, but this is to the deprivation. I was like, whoa. If I feel good today and healthy today, chances are I'm going to have the best chance of being healthy in 30 years instead of feeling so full of cravings, hungry all the time, yeah. IBS, depression on this vegetarian diet. Blood sugar it's, roller coaster, which yes, sets you oh up for God. so many other problems. So, But it's at the root. It was like I was valuing deprivation without knowing it. I get right? it. Our yeah. culture tells you, especially around health, if you're female presenting, deprivation, restriction, you know, all that kind of stuff, because we're rooted, you know, the Puritans, yeah. <laughs> they, they yeah. have very much influenced all of our culture. So uh, it goes pretty deep. Well, it's, uh, you know, I love that you've brought this up, Ali, because when I, you know, there are certain people you respect in the health world who have more of an influencer status, but but it came from good roots. It's not that they just became influencers. It came from hard work, good evidence-based work yes. that they do. And I, there are a couple I follow and a couple years ago, two of them in particular were really pushing a vegan diet. And I was like, I know I don't do well on one, but I have Hashimoto's and I thought, ah, I'll give it a try. I ended up with a yeast infection. I ended up with cravings. And I was like, after three days, I was like, clearly this is not for me. I am, um, I, I just, this is not. And I was trying to do this all plant based. Like I, it was healthy stuff, but my body just can't do that much yeah. without having like unopposed carbs, even if they're good complex fruits and vegetables and grains, I just couldn't. It, my body's like, nope, you need some extra protein and fat in there for sure. 
But yeah, I and you know, it also brings up, I love what you said about there's a difference between an expert and an authority. My dad had this great saying when I was growing up, and he said, no matter who you consult with, whether it's your doctor, your lawyer, your accountant, it doesn't matter, whatever professional you are paying for their expertise, always remember, never leave your common sense at home. And so, yeah, I do too. It's, it served me really well, but I'd like to even tack on, never leave your knowledge of your own body at home. You know your body better than anyone in the universe. It's your body. You live in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think I hate to say should, I mean, in an ideal world, I think we would all know our bodies, but I think because we're a very cerebral look i love cerebral i love school i love the i love the brain all the learning uh, that's right yeah it's my jam i mean I, my parents <laughs> are teachers i'm in essence a teacher it's different but we are a very disembodied culture right so and we and my my thesis my master's thesis was actually how we put the body into a war metaphor right mm. so we're battling cancer we're battling healthcare or i'm sorry yeah. heart disease we're battling the bulge, right? We're going to boot camp. So yeah. we think these are just words, but they're actually stories that orient us. And so most people spend, and again, I'm also biased because of the work I do, mm-hmm. or I have a skewed sample, but I think most people spend their lives battling their bodies and not trusting yeah. what it's telling them because then the world also says, well, it's your fault, right? Like one of the biggest healings what I realized I've been doing all this time is really healing this story that my body is a disappointment. Mm. And that came from, I mean, part of it's developmental. We just make things about us when we're younger. It's just Mm -hmm. a developmental norm, but Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, Oh, the environment is toxic. It's like your body has cancer, right? It's not like, Oh, my body was doing the best it could to keep me alive. So there's this whole story shift that is why I love functional medicine and then zooming out even more and saying, why do things make sense? Why, why do they make sense? Why are what we doing make sense instead of how do we just go in there and fight it and try to fix it? When I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, the endocrinologist said, I said, well, why would I get this? I'm fairly, I wasn't a practitioner then. So Mm. now I know so much more about toxins and food and all that, but I was still pretty healthy in the grand scheme of looking at diet and exercise and all that stuff. And I said, so why did I get this? And he said, well, your body just, you know, it just messed up. I have now come, I didn't really buy that at the time, but I didn't know why I didn't buy it. But now I've come to learn your body doesn't just mess up. Your body responds always to protect you, always to keep you alive. It's doing the best it can do, but when it's overloaded with toxins, when it's getting the wrong food, when it has stress that keeps the cortisol running through the roof, which keeps the blood sugar elevated, like it all makes sense. Just like you're saying, why does this make sense? The body's doing its best to protect you. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And even our self-sabotage, what we think is like, I mean, I spent 18 years being like, how do I fix this? And it's like, wait, why does it make sense? Why did, oh, food's about safety. Okay, now I, now, you know, once I kind of figured that out, I mean, that's kind of a big thing to drop, food is safety, I can but, explain, but yeah. it just, yeah, it's, it's. I just hope if anyone if listening walks away with one thing, like always just, why does it make sense? And if you don't know, keep asking, keep asking, yeah. stay curious. Oh, that's good. That's a really good, okay, guys, take that one down. That's a really good <laughs> pearl from today, for sure. 
So what are some of the top rigid beliefs that you see in some of your clients with food and life and and you know how that causes them either to fall off the wagon or just not to not to even look at why does this make sense but to but to be again unhappy with their body and how their body's responding. Yeah. So this we can come back to your example with motherhood and 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 mine with my health and even why I was in the corporate world at first. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest beliefs is if I follow the plan or the protocol, I will get results because I'm being good, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's that obedience because I'm being obedient. Mm-hmm. But you can extend that to if I'm following the template of good motherhood. For me, my parents, you know, I grew up like lower middle class, public school teachers. It's like, yeah. why, looking back, how did I ever end up in the corporate world? Well, I thought if I worked hard, I would have more financial stability, right? So, mm-hmm. but it was like, if I worked the plant, the food plan hard, right? So yeah. the idea is if you work the template out that, and again, we get that from school, right? If you study and get good grades, you're going to be upwardly mobile. You get to the good college, right? All of right. these ways that we follow these norms of how it should be. And then the the opposite of that is if I don't have a plan, you know, I'm unsafe and I'm going to go wild. That's often what people think with, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> end up eating sugar and watching yeah. Netflix. Like, right? Exactly. If I don't have a to-do list. <laughs> I'm totally dropping off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I want people to think about is often experts can mm-hmm. give us the what. Now, sometimes that what, as we've if it's a vegan diet, maybe it's not the correct one, but there's there's another element is the how. So it's like, how do we get there? And I think anyone, like I'm really into strength training right now, right? Metaphor, like I wouldn't go in the first day and think I can lift, like I couldn't even lift the barbell at 35 pounds, right? It was right. like, no, you have to work up to this. Mm-hmm. But often what happens is we read a book. Oh, I'm going to go keto. Oh, I'm going to do this. Or you work with a functional medicine practitioner and they tell you, all right, you got to go gluten-free, dairy-free, you know, it's like, wait, we're starting at the end. Whereas the big, like that is the end point and we're confusing it as the starting point. And so the how is where we start to think about how does this work in my life? How do I make this happen when I don't, when health is not my job? I mean, it may need to have more of an emphasis for a little bit, but I still, to work. I have kids who don't want to eat like, right? Yeah. There's like this whole big ball of complexity. Mm-hmm. And we need to realize that part of you only have one piece of the solution. That is not the whole plan. The how is going to inform a big piece of that. And it will, and it will change the what, right? Like yes. you did with your Hashimoto's. It was like, yeah. okay, being vegan, okay, I am getting a yeast infection. This is not working for me. So it yeah. starts to form your how. Okay, all right, I don't need to be vegan, right? So, it, and how do I make this happen? All this stuff. So that is, I think, one of the big things to start to realize is that you're not getting the whole system, the holistic picture from any one person. Mm-hmm. And that's where you becoming the authority of realizing I got to learn how to learn my body and I got to learn how to learn to make this happen in various situations and contexts. Oh, like I, tra- I like that. Yeah. So, so what I hear you saying is sometimes we get stuck into our rigid thinking, like I have to do this. I have to do that. This is what I've been told. But if we take a step back and say, that's the what, if we take a step back and say, 
how am I going to incorporate in, this into my life and does it work or do I need to tweak it and adjust it so it does so some some version of it works and then I yes. continue to tweak that for myself till I really get something that's working really well for me yeah yeah mm -hmm. like even something like gluten say for example someone has to reduce it right mm -hmm. it's like and they need to be on whole foods right mm -hmm. well it's like okay all right, where do I need to start, right? It's like, okay, maybe for right now, you have to eat all the fake gluten-free stuff. I mean, is that more important than like what's, and right. working with your practitioner to be like, okay, I'm at the beginning here. Yeah. What What is like essential, right? Or like you work with hormone health, right? It's like, okay, I want to work up to grass-fed meat and beef, but that's not in my, you know, that's not in my budget right now, right? It's like, okay, you need to get your macros right to balance your blood sugar. Here's how you can get your macros no matter where you are, That's right? Great. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is this kind of comes full circle to the beginning. You start to want to want to make the choice because you're realizing, oh, when I do that, I have less cravings and I actually can eat one gluten-free cookie at the party. I love right? that. Right? Yeah. And, and, then, and then so you start to under, start to see the physical differences. Oh my God. I didn't, I ended up eating gluten that night and I did not sleep. Right. It's like, right. wow. Okay. And a couple more times of realizing this really affects my sleep is now it's the intrinsic motivation versus at, you know, my, my functional medicine practitioner, like Allie or Lisa told me to do this, you know, yeah. it yeah, doesn't yeah. mean again, we aren't guides, but then you also start to realize that there's different stresses in different situations around food. Right. So people, I really address the root causes of why people emotionally fall off track. And it's like, mm. well, the reason you're eating by yourself alone at night after a hard day's work mm -hmm. is different than when you get social anxiety and then you're eating to not say the weird thing. Mm. <laughs> you know? So we're looking at the reasons behind, again, why does this work? Why does this make sense, right? Why yes, is this yes. happening? Not, oh, here I go again. I'm such a loser. Oh, I failed again. It's not that. It's let's look inside why what is what is the root cause of this and like you said it can be different it can have the same like the same manifestation or the same end result but for different roots so as we start looking at the roots and finding yeah and uh, that how piece so it's like okay if, if it's around social you know social anxiety say some of my clients get that it's like oh i don't want to look high maintenance i don't want to say the weird thing yeah right it's like oh how do so how do I work through this in these social situations, right? Yeah. And so then I'll say to my clients, you know, again, I kind of jumped over, but food is about safety and we need to feel safe. And as, as adults, I'm talking about psychological safety, meaning I feel like I belong. Mm. And in what we have to start with is I got to belong to myself first. Yeah. So in these situations around social stuff, rather than just thinking, well, people like me, what do they think? am I eating like, oh my God, what am I going to, what's going to happen if I say I have to be gluten-free and it doesn't look like I'm healthy and it looks like I'm failing, right? All of this stuff comes up for people. Yeah. And it's like, I say, we have to start by saying, what do you want to get out of this social, this social event? Like, why are you even going there? Yeah. What is it about? And so they start to have some sort of boundaries and safety that they can, okay, this is what matters to me. How do you, how do you get those needs met? If I can just feel comfortable with one person, I don't need everyone there. So it's like starting to understand your needs. So mm -hmm. now you're realizing like, oh, how do I only eat one cookie at a party? Oh, this, it, it actually has nothing to do with the food. It's not about food rules. It's like, I need to make sure my needs are met. 
So you start learning the how as you go along, but it's your own choice. It's not me saying, eat before you go. (laughs) No, that's a great point. No, that's such a good point. It's so much deeper than that. So much deeper. I mean, it's the deepest food. You know, I mean, you're, you're a mother, I mean, any caretaker, but as when we're born, I mean, we have two survival needs, fed and touch. Yeah. And that's how you know you're safe. Yeah. And food is safety just, and I would even argue because we both value food. I would value, argue that it spiritually starts in utero when food becomes literally the structure of your body, mm. right? And structure yeah. gives us safety. Kids feel safe with boundaries. Adults feel safe with boundaries. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're all just like grown up five-year-olds inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so much truth to that. We all have, you know, our inner child and we're, we're protecting that child all the time. Yeah. And sometimes even to our own detriment because we're still using the protections we used ever since we were little. And if we can identify yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I love that you brought that up because I know I've said food is safety and mm-hmm. really up until like zero to like, until you can really be, take care of yourself on your own, your belonging rests on being chosen, chosen by your caretakers, chosen by your peers, chosen by, you know, school systems, your church, your work setting so you can get a job and really the spiritual, well, I would say emotional and spiritual invitation in food is to say, all right, it's time to adult here. What do I want to choose? Yeah. What do I, what values do I want to belong to? What that I want to embody and live out. And that's really the work I do with clients is like, okay, it starts at like in these social situations where you're eating, but there's a signal. That's a symptom that your needs aren't being met. So how do we get those needs to be met? What do you want out of this? Rather than, oh, I got to go. So I'll feel guilty if I don't go. Okay. It's not a zero sum game. Like, what do you get out of this? You know, my, so a lot of my clients are introverts. Oh, I don't want to be there the whole time. Okay, great. Yeah. You're an adult. Leave early. Yeah. Oh, I can do that? Yes. <laughs> if you actually take a step back to think about it, right? But it's part of those norms that we just adapt, right? Like the party yeah. says five to nine. Oh, yeah. but you know, we can decide, you know? So it's really realizing we have all this choice. And mm-hmm. other than being good or bad, there's a lot of, we call it option C intrus with food. I love it. And a lot of things that we've labeled bad aren't even bad. I do have clients yeah. coming back and they're like, oh, I've been bad this month. And I'll say, what did, what, what's that mean? And they'll say, well, I didn't quite eat right. Or, you know, we went to this party and I'm like, ooh, I don't hear anything bad in any of this stuff you're telling me. It's not bad. You made choices and those were good choices for you at that time you know or or your schedule didn't allow that that's not a bad label it's okay well and how healing for them to hear that from you because a lot of times they wouldn't hear that and Mm -hmm. i think part of the magic of when we understand we don't know the how is we start to realize we don't need to be perfect to still get results right and that's a lot of that's what and it's it's one thing to intellectualize that but you start to see it and also it's like you then start to realize, like, it was my birthday on Sunday, and my mom made a oh, gluten-free cookie happy cake. birthday. Thank you. Yes. But, like, it, it's amazing how, like, and so I had a piece or whatever, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to take another little piece. Yeah. And I started sweating. I mean, like, we had eaten a really healthy dinner. It was brisket, no vegan. The spinach was delicious. <laughs> but I was like, wow, I used to binge on cookie cake and didn't feel anything. Uh-huh. And now I'm so healthy that even just a little bit of extra cookie cake on my birthday made me sweat. And I was like, 
and and I woke up, I did sleep through the night, but I did not wake up feeling as rested. Yeah. And it, <laughs> the next day I was like, I am, you know, nighttime came around. I was like, and my, my parents are temporarily living with us. They just sold their house and they're moving somewhere else. Oh. My mom was like, do you want some more of your cake? And I was like, no, I was like, I need a good night's <laughs> sleep and I don't want to sweat again. But we, we start to realize, and it repairs that self-trust that as we go along, yeah. we get healthier and healthier. And we just have to like make the next right good enough step for time you just, it naturally happens. But, and, and again, I think it's where that holistic healing comes in is relationally, we're not expecting perfection from ourselves. Right. We're, we're relating. I can trust that good enough is good enough for me. I love it. I always ask when someone says, I, I often on will teach a 13 week weight loss class, but it's really just about how do you get healthy? It's actually, it's actually yeah. teaching people to get healthy, mind, body, and spirit. Like, and when you start to get healthy, I always say the weight follows. But sometimes that 13 weeks will end. It'll start early fall and, and it'll end right around the holidays, like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And people every time will say, but what are we going to do about Thanksgiving or Christmas? And I'll say, oh, that's a good question. So I'm going to ask the class, like, are you going to eat pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving? And they all kind of look at me and I'm like, Yes, you are. If you want the pumpkin <laughs> pie, you might not take the monster piece you used to eat. You might look at it, you know, whatever size is satisfying at that time and then choose whether or not you really want those seconds or not. But yes, is it a birthday party for you? Are you going to eat the gluten-free cookie cake? Yeah, you're going to have some and then you're going to decide if you want more or not. It's not a diet. This is your life. And how to support yourself so it doesn't feel like, like so you can connect to like, you know, balance your blood. Like if I don't balance my blood sugar before I eat something like that, learning my body that it's like, oh my God, then I'm hungrier than yes. before I start eating that. And then I'm shaking and I'm crashing. So it's like, this is comes back to like being the authority on your body, realizing like, how do I support myself so that I don't feel like shit after I eat that? Yes. <laughs> so I start off with the protein. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some red flags that people could be looking for in their own thinking that are sabotaging their vision of wellness and this living out of wellness in life and mm -hmm. balancing those food choices or whatever choices for their health. Do red flags, do you mean like what mean yeah. you're gonna fall off track or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like the red flags, kind of like going back to when you said you're eating those extra cookies at that party because you're looking to get some needs met. So what are some red flags that your needs aren't getting met? And so you're making other decisions, but the, but you have blinders on. You may not realize, you may then shame yourself for that in addition. But if you can see it as a red flag and just pause for a minute and say, oh, this means something's not working. What are some of the things that you sometimes see? Yes, I love this question. So the first thing is, is again, recognizing why does this make sense? So the minute you start say it's three o'clock and you start fantasizing about what you're going to eat when you get home or at night, or say you are having a habit of being good during the week and then you go crazy on the weekends. Yeah. Right. So what you want, so I call this food noise, right? Oh, and yeah. I mean, the New York times just mentioned, did a big article on it. Bethany Frankel called it food noise. I used to call it food gymnastics, but the minute you start thinking about food, the first thing is to say, why does this make sense? you are feeling there is some need that's not being met at, mm. in that moment. So 
you, you start thinking about food rather than thinking, oh my God, I love food so much. I love food too much. I can't wait for brownies. <laughs> whatever, or, or like, I can't wait to like go out to eat and reward myself, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. and, and But it feels in conflicting with your goals or we always say out of alignment with how you want to eat, right? Mm -hmm. Because to your point, sometimes we may want cookies. Sometimes we may want pumpkin pie. That doesn't mean we're being bad. But if it feels right. like I don't want to not make this choice. Like it's controlling <laughs> me, right? Not like yes, I'm making a choice, me. but yeah. it's actually controlling me. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think first just saying, whoa, why does this make sense? Yeah. Then one of the acronyms I give my clients, and I'm going to give you, I can give a link to people to take oh. them through a, a, a five minute version of this exercise Awesome. to identify their eating triggers. But I have my clients ask, what is at the tail end of this food noise? Mm -hmm. And often clients will identify it as stress eating. So, right, you're at three o'clock, you start thinking about food, oh, I'm stressed or I'm anxious. Okay, so what's at the tail end of this? And the key is, is that we don't look at the event that's happening. So I'll give you an example. In my group that I'm running, this client was saying, oh, I ate really well all day. And then at four o'clock, I got this email that I had to fix the spreadsheet and I had to reconcile the spreadsheet. And I open up the spreadsheet and I see all these things are wrong about it. It's four o'clock uh, uh, and I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I went right to the refrigerator. Mm. It's like, what's up with that, right? Mm -hmm. But she had this tool. So it's not about the spreadsheet. It's not about the email. Oh, what did that bring up in you? What did that bring up in you? And the, the acronym is tail. What's at the tail end of that? Tired. Were you feeling tired? Nice. Were you feeling anxious, which is uncertainty coming from the outside? So think of COVID, right? We saw yeah. food habits devolve during COVID because, yeah. oh my God, this is uncertainty coming from the outside. Mm -hmm. Do I feel inadequate is the I. And that's like, do I feel not enough here? Do I feel like I'm too much? Sometimes our food needs make us feel not enough, too much. Yeah. And then the last one is loneliness. And loneliness is when our social needs aren't being met. So you can be around a bunch of people, but feel lonely if your social needs aren't being met. Wow, that's so good. for this particular client, when she really sat down, I was like, it's not the spreadsheet. What was it? And she's like, I felt alone in it. I didn't feel like I could ask for help. That is what made me stressed. And it was like, oh, well, food is used for connection, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, food has been used for connection and that's not a bad thing. So of course you're going to go there, but that is the symbolic, that's the symbolism of the need that you need. You need to ask for help. You're connecting with food, but you need to connect with someone to ask for help. So part of the work is next time good. getting practice, ask for help where it feels safe at first. How does that feel? And then you slowly work up to where it feels more risky. But those three things of why does, like even recognizing that if you're not really hungry, it's probably an emotional hunger, emotional needs not being met. Yeah. Then what's at the tail end of this and starting to tune inward, not what is the event, but what is this bringing up in me? Yeah. And am I feeling tired? Am I feeling uncertain, which is anxious? Often people identify and it makes it for a better acronym. Tail. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> am I feeling inadequate or am I feeling lonely? And just having that clarity starts to create some safety and you start to connect like, oh, this really isn't about food. Because when we first hear this, like, no, I just love food. No, yeah. I'm out of control. No, yeah. I need more discipline. All yeah. the things that want us to keep going down the same path are going to come up. 
But I think those three first three steps, just the awareness starts to help us realize like, wow, this is so, so little of this is about food. Wow. You are, you are absolutely right. And you've, you have taken emotional eating deeper than I've ever heard anyone, Allie. You've gotten to, you've gotten to a root that I just have not ever heard anyone get to. You know, we can always make the link between, well, you're stressed, so you're eating to calm the stress or to comfort you, but to take it deeper into which, what, what needs of yours are not getting met? And what is this bringing up in terms of the TAIL acronym? I think that's amazing. That's awesome. I mean, I really, I really appreciate that you can see that and that you value that depth because I think yeah. a lot of emotional eating, I always make the distinction between climate and weather. Like you'll hear, you know, hold a feeling for 90 seconds and it'll go away. But that's the weather. That's like the immediate stress. If that emotion is tied to a story that we have to be deprived, that mm. that is the climate that you live in. It does mm. not go away in 90 seconds. Yeah. So that yes. is what... And so if you, and again, a lot of this comes down to deprivation and it's not just about food. It's like, I can't ask for help. She's like, you know, my, and her, she's like, my immediate thoughts were like, you should, you should already know this. No, you know, and it's like, and, and this is a whole other layer, but it's like, no, you're, you're, those thoughts are telling you that. So you don't ask for help because you're really afraid of rejection. You're afraid of judgment, right? So there's a deeper layer than just you know, I'm afraid to ask for help. And that is the climate that we all live in, right? It's this operating of this is what a good mother is. And mm -hmm. then the default is deprivation. So if I go yeah. outside of that, I think I'm violating my values. I think I'm going to be judged. I think I'm going to be whatever. And so, and that's why just doing the tail acronym starts to give you some distance from that climate, right? Mm, like, so oh, good. this is just how I've been feeling forever, you know, versus yeah. like storm that's blowing in yeah. or tornadoing in or, you know, firing in. There's so many storms lately. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, that's, that's right. And we become numb to our climate. If you live in Seattle and you're always in cloudiness, you're used to cloudiness, right? But yeah. if you live in South Florida or South Carolina or somewhere where it's sunny all the time, you also become accustomed to that. We just become used to it. We don't question it. We don't question that every time someone sends me that spreadsheet and it's the end of the day and I can't get it all done without working late, I feel this stress. We just accept our climate rather than not realizing we can change the climate. We can. Yeah. Because yeah. the climate in that case is like, I don't ask for help. I yeah. do everything on my own. I'm right. independent. I love being independent. You know, right. it's like, yeah. you know. That's my um, identity. That's how yes. everyone knows me. But to be able to add, no, but you can change the climate and still, and still hold your dignity and still give yourself a break and still, yeah. And often be more effective. Way like, more effective. That's the, that's, that's the, like the, we're so afraid of change, but then we end up getting the health and the holistic health of feeling yeah. more free, more yeah. alive. Yeah, I like the idea of then reframing that as as a new step in success. Once you yeah. put those boundaries and says saying, I acquiesced, I surrendered, I asked for help. It, no, that's your next step in success because you have now just taken better care of yourself. You yeah. have now just been true to yourself, which means you are more successful than you were yesterday when you wouldn't ask for help. 
Well, and what you're talking about is self-authoring your definition of success. <laughs> I love it. So guys, that's going to be our sequel. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I, it will be. We're getting to self-authoring is going to be our sequel. I'm making it yeah, right yeah. now. And to piggyback off this learning the how, I always say when clients, when they fall off track and, you know, it, or whatever, it's like that was research, right? It's yes. not falling off track. If you know how to research it and get to the root, this is what this messy middle is about. It's not that you're failing, it's that you're learning yes. the vulnerable parts of your plan and you're learning how to fortify it. So success doesn't become, are you obedient? It becomes, are you learning? Are you learning how to be discerning instead of, okay, I just can't ever have cake. And then when it's my birthday, I'm good. But then I go home and binge on cake for 10 days. After <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when no one's looking. Yes. And I've been struggling with this concept of fail forward for about a year. I know mm. it intellectually, but just this week I was looking at something and saying, oh, I'm really disappointed in the results of this one piece of my business as I'm doing the analytics. And and I was like, oh my gosh, I, like, I feel badly about that. And then, But I mean, no one else would look at that. They would say, oh no, it's still succeeding. It's just not su succeeding at the rate I was hoping for by now. And then I reminded myself, it's okay, fail forward. Just keep going. Just do the next thing, whether it's right or wrong. Just do it and do it big. Like, And then if it fails, that's research. It's okay. Studying the statistics and it's such a small percentage of people who are willing to fail. And then it becomes an even smaller percentage of people who embrace failure and look to fail because they know that's the path to where they want to go. So I'm yeah. trying to have a mind shift there. Yeah. You know. Well, and so many of us have been rewarded for succeeding. Again, all, all of this is like our stories live in our bodies. Yes. So it's like, oh, I intellectually know to fail forward, but emotionally I've been rewarded for being really successful. So this feels yes. dangerous. This feels unsafe. Yeah. And what you're also describing in developmental psychology is how we actually, I think, get healthier holistically as adults is it's called complexity fitness. But Ooh. so if you think about, about your business piece, right, mm -hmm. the, the body business, so many moving parts, so complex. So by you saying like, oh, this is working well enough, but I want it to work better. You're actually increasing your ability to see what's working, what's not. And you can be with more complexity rather than this was a failure or a success. Oh, that's interesting. That's, yeah. So it's like really my clients cool. come out, most clients come into me being like, intellectually, they know there's more, but they really believe it's diet and exercise, right? And they come out being like, oh my God, food is safety is like 80% of it. And then getting my sunlight and my sleep and food actually becomes a smaller piece because they can be with more complexity yes. than just diet and exercise. I love that. And then that's when everything starts compounds yes, yeah. because the better yes. food leads you wanting to be out in the sunshine which leads you want to exercise out and then you want to sleep more you want to prioritize and it just starts to compound and it's that's when it gets really exciting and to your point when it's the snowball down the hill it's not about deprivation it's like right. oh this is like fun or this is curiosity this is yeah. more and more satisfying this is feeling better and better instead of it getting harder and harder yes so you, yes I exactly. completely agree. Tell us one of your favorite client stories. Yes. So I think, cause I mean, my son's going to be four, but I'm still in that like motherhood, you know, birth. Yeah. I love birth stories. So Aww. I, one of my clients and she was on my podcast. So this is all public knowledge. Her name's Kristen, but she came to me because she was having some food issues, you know, and had had lifelong food issues. 
I'm actually not lifelong, but you know, late teens. Mm -hmm. And what we realized made her go off track and stress eat was when she didn't feel like she could use her voice Mm -hmm. to be heard. Mm -hmm. And she didn't actually talk until she was four or five years old. So there's, yeah. So there's like a real somatic memory of all of this. So it's not just psychological, it's in the body as well. Yeah. And so we worked a lot on her finding her voice, her food fell into place. And while we were working together, she was pregnant. And one of the ways that we experimented, because often around food can be the most sensitive place. So you start elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But she said this in the podcast, like she was very much raised by media. So she thought how you give birth is you go to the hospital, you get in the stirrups, you get an OBGYN, you know, all this stuff. And so she went to her OBGYN appointment. I was like, oh, how did it go? And she's like, well, you know, I want a doula. And the OBGYN was like, doulas don't help. And I said, oh, and I said, well, you know, there's other options. She lived in Philly. I said, there's the Bryn Mawr birth center. She's like, oh, really? And I said, yeah, you may just want to experiment. You know, everything in my work is an experiment. You may (laughs) just want to go get more research. Yeah. So long story short, she had planned, she had gone from going to an OBGYN who then challenged her doula, which is kind of this like, okay, she's an expert, but not the authority. Right. Um, And ends up COVID happens. So three weeks before she's about to give birth, like all the protocols change. So she ends up deciding to do a home birth. Wow. But but all of this was rooted in her safety of like, I am following what feels true, what feels emergent for who I am now, right? So she ends up having an epic home birth and and her husband was like, are we hippies now? (laughs) And she has since gone on and she said, I am allowed to share this, since gone on to have a second kid and her midwife did not get there in time. She free birthed. Oh. Yeah, like, but the power and like the home birth, like just going through that questioning pro- process of finding her voice and yes. tuning into what feels true, right? It's like the food was not like the food gets easy. The food's easy. It's like, how do I trust myself to yeah. make the decisions that are in alignment for me? And that empowered her in these ways. And now she told me the free birth has just taken it to another level. So I love that story because it shows how, as you heal yourself, trust from realizing that your food is an invitation into this kind of rebellion against norms, you know, like just understanding your power. It's like each time you do that, you get braver and braver. So you start taking more and more risks. Like for her, Bryn Mawr, the the birth center was a risk. And then it was like, okay, circumstances have forced my hand. It was amazing. But all the ripple effects of when you show up trusting yourself more, that you can learn to feed yourself. Feeding ourselves is so basic. I'm not saying it's easy. Right. I mean, it must simple, not necessarily easy in our culture. But I just love that story because it just... It shows how when you self-author your story, you know, she was so afraid of being mis- misunderstood and using her voice. And even when you get pushback, if you have people who support you to to choose other things, there's so many other options for you. So it's... Imagine her looking back now. I'm sure they ride around in a VW bus now. Seriously, just imagine her looking back and now she has stepped so much more into her authentic identity and now she gets to be her. And not someone else's expectations on her. Totally. And it opens up this creativity side. I mean, she's an amazing painter and her painting had like kind of gone by the wayside because she owned a business, all this stuff. And now she paints regularly. She brings both her kids to her studio. This ripple effect. It's not just about the birth, but it's the metaphor of her birthing herself. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like the food is easy. (laughs) 
Have you heard, I think it's like the five questions of the dying. I have to look up the author. She was a palliative care nurse for years and she came up with the five like most common, I think it's five, it, most common questions people have or, or regrets. The, oh, that's it. It's the five regrets of the yes. dying. One of the biggest ones was, and this to me is so incredibly poignant. And if, if you know, I, I hope that our episode impacts everyone listening in our own lives too. One of the biggest regrets was I wish I didn't care so much what other people thought of me. Yeah. It was my yeah. life and my path, but I didn't choose my path. And that's, yeah. so she's choosing her path. And I love, I love that story. And I can see why you love it so much too. When we step into who we really are, then life has a lot more for us. It takes courage because it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. And I think mm -hmm. it is. And I think the big thing for people to realize is you need other people. And I think working with you or working with me or working with someone, you need someone relationally to understand, like you said, that wasn't bad. That was yeah. fine. You yeah. need someone who's actually going to relationally help you repair your self-trust. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about how people can work with you. So I have my group program, Truce with Food, that starts at the end of every January. And that's six months, very awesome. boutique. You get lots of group support, but individual support as well. And I find this work done in groups is the best because people think feel very separate from their food issues. So you get the experience of I'm not alone in this and people who really want to figure this stuff out. It's amazing. So it's a six month yeah. program and I six love month program. that gives people a lot of time to really internalize their changes and make them intrinsic instead of the quick flash in the pan. That's Excellent. So truce with food and it yeah. starts at the end of January, right? So we'll put yeah, links the in the Yeah, the end of January. Notes. Okay. And before that, I offer a monthly free call. It's the truce with food community gathering that if you like what you heard and you're curious, you know, show up, let me help you with where you are. And that happens the first Tuesday of every month. Oh. And people can sign up for that at alishapiro.com backslash gathering. Okay. Um, and then if there's any practitioners listening, I run a truce coaching certification that Ooh. basically gives people the entire structure of how to midwife clients through their own authority. It will start again in September of 2024. Okay. Um, and okay. you can get a free sneak peek of that is beyond atomic habits and <laughs> what I comes, what can you do it. to help people make sustainable change? And that's at alishapiro.com backslash truce coaching certification. And that is trauma-informed. It's ICF certified. And if anyone's a CNS, it's certified through uh, the certified nutrition specialist, the BCNS, you know, governing body for 20 CEs. That's fantastic. Um, so that is amazing <laughs> what you're doing. That's amazing. Yeah. And then if anyone, I was telling you about the link, if people want to identify their triggers, they can go to alishapiro.com backslash eating triggers and go through a five minute coaching exercise that will help you really identify the most salient tail trigger for you. So that's yeah. a free resource too? You're totally free. Oh, and that will get you on my list. So then you'll get the email for the next community gathering that's also free. So a lot of people like to do that exercise and then you know, I've got questions and it's like, great, I'm here for your next step. So you are doing um, a lot of good in the world. Oh, thanks. 
<laughs> you are, well, I want people, yeah. I want to change the narrative. I just hate the willpower discipline mm -hmm. narrative. It's, it's not true. I and hate it I'm too. A little, I'm a, yeah, I'm a rebel. So I want to yeah. shake stuff up. <laughs> I, you are doing big things, Allie. And I'm so thankful we, we got to talk yeah, and we've got to we're meet. Gonna be, we're going to be getting what, matcha or some bougie wellness drink. You <laughs> know it. We absolutely no are. No caffeine afternoon for me. After 12, <laughs> I won't sleep. <laughs> I hear you. I can do my tea in my green tea. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, or my matcha for sure. Yeah, yeah. I can do a little kombucha. Oh yeah, too. yeah, for sure. Up until two, it's like my husband jokes. I'm so highly titrated. I'm like, I, I, I like my sleep is number one. So with that, that is the smartest though. That gets everything else in order. Thank you for having such a delightful conversation. I can't wait till the sequel, part two, and I, I'm sure all of our listeners have loved every bit of it. So guys, thank you for listening in today. Stay tuned for our next conversation with Allie. And over matcha. Over matcha, yeah, when we're interviewing. Okay, guys, so until next time, stay pretty well. Bye.